0: Welcome to The Film That Blew My Mind. I'm Tabitha Jackson.
1: And I'm John Cooper, here with another episode of our weekly podcast, all about the heart and soul of cinema. Today's guest has made films all over the world, but recently is best known for exquisite photography and extraordinary access to outdoor athletes pushing themselves to extremes.
0: Which is why, uh, this is how I always think of you, Cooper, an outdoor athlete, pushing themselves <laughs> yeah, to really. extremes. Um Together (laughs) Together with filmmaker, mountain athlete and husband, that's all one person, Jimmy Chin. Chai's directorial credits include Meru, uh, which is about three elite climbers in their attempt to climb Mount Meru in the Himalayas. And it won the Sundance Audience Award in 2015. Then also Free Solo 2018, um, an Oscar winning, left Sundance behind, an Oscar winning documentary following climber Alex Honnold as he climbs El Capitan, alone and without ropes. That's what I feel like, Cooper, to your extreme athleticism. Um, and then 2018, The Rescue, which is a true story of the rescue effort that saved 12 boys and their coach from a flooded cave in Thailand.
1: And Jimmy and Chai's first scripted project is NIAD, starring Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. It is a remarkable true story of 60-year-old Diana Nyad and her 110-mile open ocean swim from Cuba to Florida. It has earned Oscar nominations for both Denning and Foster, and that's where we are right now. So our guest is the very exquisite in her own right, Chai Vassarelli.
0: Hey, Chai. Hello, Chai. Hi,
2: guys. (laughs) Do we embarrass you enough? You did. I feel very lucky to be here, so thank you for having me.
0: Well, we feel very lucky indeed to have you. And um, Chai, what is the film that blew your mind? So it's such an interesting question because so many films.
2: um, I mean, that's kind of the joy of being a film lover is that you get to have that experience over and over again. And sometimes even in revisiting old films, they continue to blow your mind. So I chose Michael Winterbottoms in this world which is from two thousand two, which I'll never forget. The first time I saw it was at Tribeca, I think, in a movie theater, and it's a film I return to whenever I feel,
0: I don't know, a little lost or disenchanted. Mm-mm. Chai, I'm gonna, I'm good. That's so beautifully put. I'm just going to interject with a quick description of the film. So, for listeners who haven't seen it, as Chai said, this is a 2002 film by Michael Winterbottom. It's the story of 16-year-old Jamal, an Afghan boy in a Pakistan refugee camp who travels with his older friend, Anayat, by land and sea to reach London. Um, Director Michael Winterbottom brings into Jamal's life and his journey... Blurring the lines between fiction and documentary to convey the truth of Jamal's experience, if not the literal facts. This is a fiction film. Um, such an interesting style. So let's go back, Chai, to um, where you said you were in a movie theatre in Tribeca. Just, just what were you expecting? Why did you choose to go and see it in the first place? And what, were you, what did you feel as you watched it? So I think
2: I was at the first or the second Tribeca Film Festival.
0: Wow. At, yeah. And it
2: was when my first film, A Normal Life, was also premiering mm. um, at Tribeca. And, you know, I just sat there and the the idea of nonfiction versus fiction has always been interesting to me. Just the idea that, you know, you could create like kind of a fictional retelling while shooting in the same places and spaces and using real people to act out their story. It was just, it was just like an interesting thing. It like kind of blew my mind as, as your podcast is so aptly named. Um,
1: I have to say too that there's one thing that's very sad about talking about this movie is it's almost impossible to find. It, yeah. It's, it's like a crime that this – I remember this being such kind of a big deal film. Like it was so raw and so real and part of film history and now it's nowhere to be found. And I mean, it's
0: it won the ahead. it won the Golden Bear at Berlin, I know. right, Cooper? And and yes. uh, did, you know, it it as you say, it really made a huge splash. So we I I how did we get Berlin. to watch it? Right, you saw yeah. it there.
1: Yeah, I think so. Oh that wow! Because two thousand two, that was like kind of still we're fresh from nine eleven, correct? And, yeah. And the whole notion of the refugee camps was even sort of fresher in our heads. Now it's become sadly. Commonplace. We kind of know a lot about refugee camps now. But I remember then it was like, how did he find this place? And Michael Winterbottom is such a crazy filmmaker and so prolific, you know. And everybody's talking about this film and now it's kind of disappeared.
0: And it's disappeared at a moment where I think Winterbottom's intention, which is to he, I think, I I think it was in the press conference in Berlin where he says he wanted these p- people like Jamal and Enayet in the film go through such extraordinary hardships to try and get to somewhere where they can have a better life, um, and yet when they arrive. In a country that is so full of privileges, i.e., anywhere in Europe, basically, on their trips, they're treated as though they're scroungers and less worthy than we are, for example. And if we only knew what they had just done in order to get here, for the that that we we might treat them differently. And that's what that's the change that he wanted in a very humble way. But he wanted to at least attempt by making this this film so chai go back to go back to what you were feeling in the in the movie theater
2: i mean it's every immigrant's experience in many ways it's just much more extreme in the current day but you know you know i grew up um both jimmy and i grew up as um the children of immigrants whose families were seeking refuge um from either political or religious persecution mm. and found their way to the States. And, you know, it's when I see films like this that I'm reminded of the layers of story that, you know, and the layers of suffering or dur- the journey that's that's had to happen in, my, in terms of my parents and my grandparents that have allowed me now to land here and make movies. Can you say a little bit more about, what, what's your family background? So I'm half Hungarian and I'm half Chinese. Um, my mother's family, who's the Chinese side, they fled China for Hong Kong during the Cultural Revolution. Mm. Um, my dad's family is Hungarian, and they left right at the end of World War II from Hungary and w- went from Denmark to Brazil. So, like, this was, these questions have always been part of, like, my lizard brain and part of what inspires me. And I think, you know, Jimmy and I, as many people have noticed, like, I, we're very, very different I do like diving, but I'm I, I even look in, in this film in this world when they're crossing over into Turkey, walking in their like in their moccasins through the snow, and I was like, I would die, like you would just leave me there, <laughs> right, right. right? And I, I'd be so scared. And like meanwhile, Jimmy would be like, I'm gonna choose the ki- area of the kids, and we'll leave you behind. <laughs> you know, like, it's like we're so different, but we share this immigrant experience and also the legacy of these stories that our families have shared with us and so like you know I'd never dated a Chinese man before I met Jimmy and somehow we found it's really interesting that our values are very similar
0: yeah that is wow! talk about layers that's Mm -hmm. that's extraordinary and you were saying that uh, because you were talking about the kind of commonality of the of the migrant or immigrant experience and I think that's another thing that this film does, which is in the perception of receiving countries, there's a kind of um, hierarchy of um, compassion, which is we have most compassion for people who've made this trip because they've been displaced by war. And then economic migrants, people who just don't have anything and want to try and get somewhere where where they can make a better life for themselves. They are way down the list. They're the people who are who are asking for money on subways and are treated as though they're just irritating. But if you, as Winterbottom implies, if you had any sense of what they had done to get to this subway car where they're asking you for a dollar, because there's literally no other way of, of getting money. um, It's, it's pretty extraordinary. And what I found really interesting in this film was the end credits where it talks about Jamal, who is a, non-professional actor, as we call ordinary people. Um, Jamal did the journey with the film for the film and then they took him back, as was the agreement, to the refugee camp in Peshawar. And then he does the journey by himself and tries to claim asylum in the UK. Uh, So it's just an extraordinary mix of Art and life. So, I mean, I think the whole insult
2: to injury is then he is rejected. His asylum is rejected, right. and then he's given an exception so he can stay until he's eighteen. And so, of course, now watching this film in twenty twenty four, I'm like, What where happened? Is he? Yeah, where is he? Um, which is also kind of an interesting. I don't know. Like, we we should find out. And now I'm think I'm going to try to find out. But um, but you know, it was funny. Like rewatching the film recently was that. This idea of the lengths to which we will go, hu- individuals, humans will go, for an idea, and also to survive, it's always humbling. His
1: his journey too wasn't brought on by knowledge of media at all. Too, I, that whole notion of stories going from people yes. to people about a place like that's so old school, but so powerful. And I think. In some ways, it's because he's a boy. He he is believing things on a different level, um, and I think he he can make the journey and survive because he's a boy too. He's almost like a lesser. He's not even noticed. He can like he runs away from that you know, almost a huge crime scene, and they don't even chase him. It's just like uh, a boy, you know. He's gone, and and I think that's kind of can almost have saved him. Just that he was young, but it's like, yeah, where did he get his stories from? That whole story of yes, why London? Do you even know what that looks like? It's not like there's he's watching TV. was he?
0: Though his uncle in the film, his uncle is in London, so that's who he's, oh, trying, to to he's trying to, to get. Oh, I see. Going to another family member, yeah, who
1: can help you.
0: Right, but the the crime scene that you mentioned, Cooper was that he and and NIT, go as many as many travelers do uh, trying to get into countries without paperwork they are put by um, people smugglers into the back into a container basically on the back of a truck which is on a ship and by the end of the 40-hour journey most of the people in that container have suffocated to death including his friend Anayat and he he survives and he sees what has happened and he just runs. There's this moment where the camera is running behind him. Um, it's fair, it's incredibly moving, not least because of what you say. Yeah, It's
1: the moment in the film that you kind of feel like yes,
0: everything. Yes, because he's now truly down. on his own, grief-stricken. Yeah. And, yeah, no one cared enough to chase right. after him. He's just like, all right. And also, like, it's a parallel image from when you meet him in the beginning and he's wearing
2: his Afghan, like, outfit yes. and it's behind. And it's also I think that that's also like the poster for the film. And it's just it's so interesting because it's like he emerges on the other side. But I have to say that, like, also, I was always struck by how restrained Michael Winterbottom was in making the film. Yes. In that, you know, he lets things hang like in that container is a, also a toddler. Yeah. Who survives? And it raises the question. You're like, oh God, now, like, and then you move on. You don't come back to it. Or, you know, along the way, like there are different levels of pornography going on in places that they show, not pornography, but like salacious images of women or men that are clearly in direct, um, direct um opposition to what they probably were living in afghanistan for a very long time right um you know or afghani communi- right. communities and first it starts with like the the walkman where they're listening to music in this conversation of like where do you mm-hmm. think music comes from which is a reminder of how young he is and how delighted he is and then you know you walk into one market and you see like women on the tv or like when they arrive in iran and you see someone looking at, por- at male porn and it's suggestions of how like this is there's a loss of innocence there's also a real journey going on but he, Michael Winner doesn't doesn't indulge it's just enough to make you like oh my god are they going to be molested and like abducted and made to be sex slaves but it doesn't happen but you also it's teasing this idea that i'm sure it does happen to some yeah. and also filling out the worlds in which these ch- these kids these young adults are are passing through on this journey it almost feels like Dante-esque, like the different like circles of hell.
0: Yeah, yeah. circles yeah. of hell, exactly, exactly. Chai, you were just talking about, you know, the 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 kind of age when when Jamal feels we notice that he's young, but also the incredible responsibility he's got to get them both through, because he speaks English, and I just remember the scene in in Iran where. They are asked one of the one of the intermediaries, one of the people smugglers, I guess, says you have to you have to get rid of those clothes. So you look to, you look like Afghani's. You have to get rid of those clothes and put these clothes on because you'll more you'll look more like you come from Tehran. And Enayat, who doesn't speak any English, is asking Jamal, "What's what's he saying? What's he saying?" And Jamal is acting as a translator and the person who has to. You know, who's basically having to deal with a people smuggler. What you say? About? Huh?
2: What
1: you say,
0: say we are wire reaching.
1: Ah, because you have to be like I mean, you know I mean you ha- you have to go to Tehran. You have to be like Iranian mm. with these clothes. Your attention everybody. So you have to change your clothes to okay. be like Iranian.
0: It's a very, to your point, shy about economy. It's a very economical way of showing their identities being stripped from them or being sacrificed in order to try and make this journey. And it really matters to Anayat. He really doesn't want to give up his clothes. Uh, that's his belief. That's his family. That's the the homeland that he's leaving. Um, but it's uh, it, it's an interesting scene also because it shows you how this young boy, Jamal, is having to take on this. And that's something also we see in in kind of host communities in London or New York, these little kids doing translation for their parents in doctor's surgeries. It, it's, it's, you know, there's uh, a,
1: I yeah. I have a story. Remember, we, we do Sundance London, right? And we started yeah. that program, and there were all these film students there, usually from other countries, European countries and Asian countries in London studying. And I'm kind of like, why did you come to London and not America? And they all together said, our parents wouldn't let us go to America. It's too dangerous. Uh, and wow. you're just kind of like, oh, oh, my God, really? Like like we have a – now we have the reputation of you go to America and if you're different, you could get shot very easily, you know, at your right. college, you know, at your school. And it's like, "Yes." oh, jeez. You know, you're Ay-yay. just like, oh, my God. Changing the subject a little bit. But as you're putting together like now your first narrative – feature, which is Naiad, mm-hmm. which is a true story still, mm-hmm. do, you, do you, how did you, did there parts where you say, this looks too much like a movie, and you want it to look more like a documentary, like, is there parts where
0: you... Hey, you, movies are documentaries too, I, I that's, mean, what, documentaries that's what are I, movies I meant,
1: too. that's what I meant to say, yeah. um, but, but I mean...
2: <laughs> not wait for that best picture nom one day for one of our docs, <laughs> yeah, baby.
1: Was, <laughs> yeah, it's true, but yeah, um, was there, was there... Points where you know, let's adapt a documentary style to keep it real. Keep it real, basically. Shortening.
2: So it's it's the it's the right question, and but the answer is no. But I'll tell you. So, you know, I feel like Jimmy and I have become basically experts in repetitive motion of things that you know how they end, right? <laughs> and first, it was like it was like Free Solo, where he does the same thing over and over and over again, and. <laughs> You still have to make a movie about that, mm-hmm. and no one really understands what he's doing fully. But I'll never like after making Free Solo, we understood this, being like it's actually not about the technical; it's about like what's the most difficult part, and uh, like letting the audience get into that world enough so they understand he's doing the most difficult part. And I'll never forget when like my Chinese immigrant mom, who's like an accountant, was like the boulder problem, and I just looked at her, being like, "You know what the boulder problem is?" She's like, "Yeah, everyone everyone knows what the boulder problem is now."
0: Because Wait, what is the boulder problem?
2: It's the hard part that Alex has to basically do, like, the karate kick across, like, a oh, yeah. like a,
0: yeah. a void.
2: And it's the part he thought he would die. Like, that was, like, right. the, the most, that was the crux, so to speak. Right. And so we learned, like, just that it's it's not about, like, all of this repetitive stuff is really about a vehicle. Like, what are you actually saying? Right. You know, in it? And so then the rescue happens where it's, like, the same rescue happens 13 times. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's underwater, so it's silent. There's no footage, and it's pitch black. I mean, and this is a nonfiction film, and we're like, oh, how do we deal with that one? Um, so when it came to Niad, it was like, we were like, we can do five swims. Right. Because five swims, like, they each have to be about getting to know the character better. But I have to say, like, it goes back to that nonfiction or, like, the hustler in every documentary filmmaker, where... It was like a necessity where we didn't have the money to shoot a 28 year old Diana to film a 20 year old Diana right And that first attempt is really important. and but in, I get what I've learned now that is in fiction, like your archival producers are amazing. And so the woman, Jody who did um, King Richard was our archival producer in Iiad, and suddenly these files start arriving. and I was like, this is the best stuff I've ever seen. And it's like the Johnny Carson moment with it, with the real Diana Nyad, where you're like, where she like, this is Johnny Carson. Right. And like, this is amazing. Like, she's like doing her whole Diane Keaton thing. And it's Diana Nyad at 28. So basically, we had to make up for a problem, like which we didn't have 20 year old Diana. So we and, and we found all this amazing documentary footage. And at the end of the day, really, it's a testament to Annette Benning's performance, because I didn't I was like, we didn't know if it would work if we right. would make it like that. And after the first screening where we included it, people just bought it because your brain accepts that that yes, this is the real person. That's not the real person, but it's the real story. And Annette's performance is so true that it works. But on top of that, like there was my like you know agenda there, where like it seems like no one believes what women say anymore. So if she's going to talk about sexual abuse like like there is that narrative which is not why she did this the, the swim but it's one of the things she had to un- overcome and also right. has to live with so let's put the real diana talking about her sexual right abuse. so it's it's just like this is actually this happened
0: even though it's, we're in a movie
2: like you know like so it, i don't know it's all connected if that makes sense
0: it really gives the fiction some some bottom as it were the right. it gives the performances it's based on something foundational that we have seen with our own eyes. And so uh, I, think it's really, I think it's really interesting and interesting to compare it to this film in this world where the film starts with, which I have to say I, d- I didn't actually like, but it started with us looking at a scene and then a voiceover comes in with some statistical information. And the voiceover sounds kind of like... A current affairs documentary like voiceover would sound voice, right? exactly, yeah. except he had a northern accent, so it probably wouldn't right. have been on the okay. BBC then. But um but then the film starts, and the the point at which you really know you really know that they're going into fiction is when the music comes in and made a credible score by Dario Marianelli, which really lifts it into what we might think as fiction. But the but the film itself. Uses documentary elements not on screen as you did with Naiad, but Michael Winterbottom had read all this. He was just reading about uh, and was seeing for himself how refugees were treated in the in the UK. He and the writer Tony Grisoni went to um, a house where people were refugees were staying, and they got lots of stories. And then they found a structure for a journey that they were going to make, based, informed by all these stories of different people. Um, and then Tony Grissoni would go like two or three three days ahead of the rest of the crew and he would meet people and find places and say, you should come come here and meet this family. So, And he talks about, for example, when they go into Turkey and there's a Kurdish family, as they had conceived it, and there wasn't a script, but as they'd conceived it, this would be where the two boys would be kind of sold out by this family who just wanted to get money all the families he met all the Kurdish families he met were absolutely lovely and generous and so they could that didn't feel true to even this kind of experience so they made that one of these pockets of of kindness because that was what they had found but to do that so really they had no idea what was going to happen they knew what the route was and all the dialogue is improvised with these two boys I mean it's just like a a crazy melding of of reality and performance that somehow has a truth to it and so Chai was a very long-winded way of saying how what do you think of fiction when you think of Nyad so there is a real person who's Nyad there is real footage of her in your movie I don't know what your process was would love to hear more about was she involved in it but what is fictional about it?
2: So I have to say, like Naiad was very much a an act of naivete for Jimmy and myself. Like we were like, we've shot on mountains, we've shot in caves, like water will be fine, you know. <laughs> and we could do it. And um and also it was like there I guess like for me as a filmmaker, one of the most important moments was I made one decision. It was like one of the first few days and it was right. Like the instincts, like, you know, Cloudy Miranda who shot Maverick and like Life of Pi was there and he was like, that's (laughs) great. And I looked at him and I was like, Oh, the instincts translate. I'm okay. I'm not a fraud. I can, I can count on my over 20 years of experience in nonfiction to translate. And that was incredibly empowering. So, you know, for me, like, I always used to call it in nonfiction, the mirror test, like if something feels when you look yourself in the mirror, if you know you've done the spirit of the truth or the spirit of your truth. Right. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, I'm the first person to be like, all docs are subjective. Like, that's why we make them. Um, It's what we're trying to say. And I normally also think that you have to have some warm glow about the subject matter or else like no one wants to see that movie. Like if you hate your participant like those are not the types of films we make but you can also be incredibly critical and create gray real people or do justice to very complicated characters so when I look at Nyad um the broad strokes are true and meaning that the real Diana Nyad is a very complicated sp- it, like woman and that is the splendor of it that's the joy of it is like you know, and in a way, like I, I emerged from making I had being like, oh, my sharp elbows are okay. Like everyone knows me for who I am. Like that's okay. Mm. Which at forty five, it's kind of crazy that I, that I, I still need that reassurance. You know, um, and, but like it's a movie, and like you, so, but I don't. I would say it's like the same way with our dogs. Like it's a, you're telling a movie. You are messing with time. You are conflating things. You are. And it's what I call is the Chernobyl effect. Mm. Like I felt very betrayed after Chernobyl when I understood they melded all the characters.
0: Right. And
2: I was like, that's so interesting because I I think it's how they told us was the issue, not that they did it. And so that's always right. the question is like, when do you reveal like the smoke and mirrors? Because they're always smoke and mirrors, you know. And so there's a very real truth mm. Um in Diana Nyad's character, but that is, it's like the big screen version. And so what I also learned in, from making Docs, like our process is basically, Mm. you know, you only show the participant the film, you know, when you're not done, but you're almost done. Of course, you'll listen to their feedback. Oh, I lost five toes, not three, you know, like that sort of stuff, or that's completely wrong. I hate you, or I, I look too fat, all those things. And I've often... You know, listen. I listen really closely. But I also know that you need to protect that space so that you can preserve that safety or the warm feeling for your participant. Right. Right. So Diane and I had, to her great credit, understood that we needed space. So she she and Bonnie came to set the last day we were at the tank for one day. And she read the script a few times. She was allowed to kick and scream. (laughs) And that was fine um but this is where i did also look at producers being like this is all you and um i cannot have yes, too many complicated yeah. feelings about yes, the real yes. person because we have to make a movie that's trying to honor what we understand yeah so and so like <laughs> you know it's she um <laughs> you know she still scares me um i love her she's like the smartest person i know she speaks like seven languages you can like and what I think is so cool is, like, when you look as we intercut the real yeah. swim at the, end, the la- end of the naiad, and, like, you just need to remember that a 65-year-old yeah. woman did this. And like, you're like, really? Like, and it's, like, it's real. Yeah. And that Annette, like, somehow embodies yes. it yeah. because she's Annette and she's an amazing, amazing craftsperson. Like, and she's a great actor. And she's that true to her mm-hmm. process. And she's, you know, and she put in the work, which, like, I... I couldn't put in that training. There's like no way right, I would have swam an hour and a yeah. half a day for I a just,
0: year. I Just a quick interjection. I love the fact that your, um, your example of a fact-checking question that people, it was like, I lost five toes rather than three. You do make a particular kind of <laughs> film. That doesn't come up so often with most documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Oh, no, okay. So we're making a film right yeah. now because about Ernest Shackleton, um, where they found the Endurance last year uh, in the Wendell <laughs> Sea, and it's really unclear whether this one gentleman lost four or five toes. Okay, all that counts are different, and then it's sometimes his left foot or his right foot. We do know that the 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 gangrene, like the the frostbitten toes, were removed on Elephant Island by um, Macklin, who's the, who is the doctor. But it's top it's of truly, mind. Truly, we cannot find out. We cannot figure out if it was four <laughs> or five. So, But four or know, five. but, but yeah. this is the stuff that happens. And you know this. Like, nonfiction or people who are fanatic about these, are obsessive about these stories, like, they're always like, but no, wait. And I'm like, from my point is like, you actually don't, like, right. we, we learned in Meru that you don't need to talk about how many pitches or what a pitch right. is when you're right. climbing a mountain. Need to bring to life what the challenge of that is <laughs> and what it means to your character yeah and so that's kind of where i yeah. I like okay that's, yeah it. that's good being like we really like it doesn't <laughs> like he lost toes okay he's never gonna play football again quite the same way sorry sorry this is really not supposed to be disrespectful because i know i have I have real jimmy has very good friends who have lost um, toes. <laughs> and, um, you know, in the tip of Jimmy's nose is definitely yeah. overfro- has been frostbunt. So like it's a very serious, horrible thing. But it, this is in the real story of Shackleton. There is, it's unknown if one individual
0: lost four or five. And I was like, you know what? We kind of don't need to define it. But this is this is it's such a good point, And it's such a yeah. deep point, actually, about fiction and nonfiction, about facts, about truth, about artistic license about trying to find out but not being able to versus we don't really even really care about that. We're just going for the feeling. It's it's all the stuff which makes this line between what is fact and what is fiction um, so interesting when it comes to when it comes to filmmaking and especially making films about people who actually exist in the world. Um, so no, it's so interesting.
2: I think it's a real ethical responsibility and again, like please, I'm not belittling that. And my best story about that is, is when Free Solo won the Oscar, which was like a crazy hocus pocus magic thing, every like, per, every main participant that had been any one of the films I've ever ever made, so it was about like eight by that time or six by that time, hmm. called me. And because that's how we maintain those friendships. And my rule always is with a film because I'm trying to protect the relationship, so I protect the feeling of the film... Is I will normally have one disagreement, that's pretty major with the participant, but we always get through it. And so that's the point; like it has to be a live, real, responsible, ethical relationship with the people who your films about.
1: You talk about telling the truth, and that's the magic of your, of your all your work. But at the same time, you know how to tell a story. I love that everybody that sees your films. They have a story about seeing your films. It's so interesting, you know, that it's the story. I wouldn't say the story comes first, but the story is part of it, you know, and how that story is told to keep us engaged. I mean, it's like that. <laughs> I don't know how many people can hardly watch Solo without just literally gripping their seats. And, you know, it was so much fun. You made those stories fun for us to watch, you know. And then, and then here you come along with Nyad, your <laughs> first real narrative feature, and you got two Academy nominations out of it for both your actresses. That is phenomenal. It's like, it's such a, a tribute to you and Jimmy that, that you found a place for them to shine that much in this film, which is exquisite. Oh.
2: I mean, it is Annette benning and Jodie Foster. Like, I it's know, really but... hard for us to take any of that credit. But yes, I, we like to feel that we gave, we created a space that allowed them to do their best work. And then we crafted the movie in a way that allowed us to do the most with what we have. Right. You know, um, and again, it was like, it was this like scrappy doc thing where, you know, when I first sat down with Chris Tellefson, who edited NIAD and he also edited... Moneyball or Capote or the menu most recently. Yeah, I mean he's okay. like he also added wow. um um yeah. Gummo. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you know, just going back. And he was like so fascinated by like our process where we're like, let's break it again, let's see if we can play. It. I actually once said, Do you think we should just watch it all silent for all the archive to see if like we just don't need sound? And like, it's just, that's what nonfiction does. Right. So we just like, really our mantra night was like, don't fuck it up.
0: Right. Not <laughs> it
2: every day, like, every day. Like, Jimmy and I were like, we don't fuck it up. <laughs> like, babe, like, are we right? Like, is it okay? Like, and, you know, and then when it came to post, like pushing the cut as far as we possibly could push it. Right, right.
0: So we, I think, Cooper, we should go to lightning, right? I mean, yes. there's so much that we haven't talked about. China. I want We can just talk afterwards about this. Yeah. We, I wanted to talk to you about Senegal and what was the pull of Senegal. You made some beautiful films in Senegal, Yusuf Nador, Tuba, the one about the Senegalese elections. Um, but we don't have time for that, so we're not going to do that. Well, what we it, are going to do
2: is that the, I made that film,
0: "Incorruptible,"
2: and now that president, who like who who it was against, it was president. Wad versus Mackey Saul. Saul won after President Wad tried to change the constitution. Mackie Saul just changed the constitution. ay ay ay. Okay, and I'm just like, this is amazing to me that no one's called, no one's written an article. Like, it, it's just, anyway, okay, let's okay. go. Okay, you heard it here first,
0: people. Probably given our yeah. given our media coverage, but um, yeah, okay, go make another film about that. Um, so uh, let's go lightning. Let's try and let's try and see if we can do it in a lightning way. Okay. Otherwise, we're just going to have to change the name of.
1: This, this is section. called Lightning Round that we do. We just throw some questions at you at the end to finish off. Um, so clear My your head. Said. Yeah, you're just going to shoot it out. <laughs> one was, the first one is what we always ask. I think you already kind of answered it, maybe, but there's another one. What is the, What would have been your second choice of a film? Is there another? The name?
2: host or Gigi. <laughs> <laughs> the prophet. The prophet was my first choice, but uh, I mean, Ryan. Coogler Coogler took it. Yeah, um, I was thinking the heart, the the beat that my heart skipped. Um, oh yeah, no, high low. I mean, there's so many, but Gigi is like one of the ones I come back to every single time whenever I'm sad. So it's more of like an emotional support thing, which is completely outdated.
0: What? Where? When did you see it? Sorry, I've just brought. When it did I last see Yeah, just no. When did you first see it? Why is it? Uh, why I did that? Uh, My dad was a big, is a big film lover. So he showed it first. And,
2: you know, it's part of, I think that if I ever taught a class, like a real class, I would teach like the, like the Jane Austen to rom-com situation. And Gigi is in that inappropriate middle.
0: (laughs) That's our favourite part, isn't it? No, Along no, with me and I, okay? <laughs> like, there are a lot of things in there.
2: My favourite me. anyway. Right.
0: Okay, fantastic. All right, chai. Favorite cinema snack? Your go-to cinema snack? Popcorn. Popcorn. Very elegant. No chocolate with that. Popcorn. Okay. Good. Purest. Um. Weirdest thing that's ever happened in a cinema to you. Well, in Meru, we had someone have a seizure twice, two the different same screen- person had a seizure.
2: No, no, twice at two different screenings, people had seizures. Oh, <gasps> that, that makes that thing.
1: makes sense, actually. Yeah,
2: probably the weirdest thing that happened to me was that um, I had a film, "The Use in Door, bring what I love, um, and it was on film. And I went away, and I came back, and I was like, "They're screening the reels out of order. They uh- screened the so instead of they screened the second reel last." and it won the audience award. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good one.
0: That's yeah. fantastic. Okay, love that. Cooper in for the final. Um one.
1: just um, this is more of a serious one. If you had um advice for someone else, we we changed it. We first were like advice to anybody, but now it's like to a filmmaker, to a young filmmaker. What would you what would you say to them?
2: It's two things. One You can ask for anything and you should ask for it as long as you ask politely and you're willing to accept a no. But the important part is to ask politely because you can always ask again. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and I feel like, you know, for so long, like I've been like feeling I felt bad about asking for stuff or, you know, or, you know, even with Niall being like, we need more attention for Annette or whatever it is, but it's okay. You just need to ask for what you want and that's okay. People can say no but you can ask again, but you have to be okay with the no. And then my second thing is you do have to like what you're doing. You have to love what you do or else it's not, it, you won't make it. It's not going to work mm. um, because it's, so, it becomes soul crushing in every other way.
1: Wow. You could probably I- be surprised that when we ask this question, it's always different from everybody. We, it I is. It's, it's like this amazing, you inspire me, like, in my life with these questions you know it's like I find it fascinating but,
2: but mine yeah, is very gendered just so my answers are because I feel like women were so Ooh. long to be like the work speaks for itself and the work absolutely doesn't
0: speak for itself right right um, and, yeah chai. yeah, yeah it tell. doesn't speak for itself and
2: I I'll never forget that like I, I for like the first four films of my life I was like oh the work will speak for itself and it doesn't no, the girl in me, it
1: speaks to me. So um, maybe. It. So, I think we all have that. I know it is <laughs> gender sure now, that it, now that you said it, but it's like.
0: Chai, I, the advice one, I love the advice question so much. And I always wondered, like, do you have a advice that someone gave to you that you remember? Not everyone does, but.
2: Mike Nichols, when I worked for him, everyone is allowed an opinion is really what his thing was he like he would ask like he would ask me my opinion and i'd be like i'm this is what i think and he would listen you know he would listen to right. it he'd throw it away it's helped me because it i'm like i think i'm just my our filmmaking is just intellectually curious and that's kind of what i'm talking about in the in our post process yeah it's like flexibility and let's see if we play backwards or like the casanova version of free solo we learn something every time right and you know that was a really meaningful one and then stephen frears said something to me and he said, it's only going to get harder Ooh. after my first film won Tribeca. And I, I appreciate that. Right. And he also said, it's okay to say you don't know. Right, right. Which I often am like, I just don't know.
0: Right. Like, sit with that, everybody. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, let's screen it again. Like, you know, like, <laughs> well, Chai, it's been an absolute gift talking Pleasure. to you. Thank you for spending your time during what well, must be a busy time? We did two Oscar nominations. It's certainly been a long time since I saw this film, which is uh, In This World Michael Winterbottom's 2002 um, study, which showed this incredible journey uh, of Jamal, played by Jamal Udanturabi. Where are you, Jamal? And uh, his friend, Enayat, played by. Enya Tulla, who was a who was a guy working on the market, just that the, the crew came across and uh, wanted to have some fun with. So they went on this they went on this journey together. But a wonderful film, still sadly relevant. Thank you so much for bringing it back to life, actually, so that we could talk about it. And um, best of luck with everything. Thank
2: you, guys. It was so nice to do this. This was fun. Yes.
1: If you'd like to share the film that blew your mind, send us an email to stories at thefilmthatblewmymind.com. The Film That Blew My Mind is hosted by me, John Cooper.
0: And me, Tabitha Jackson. Our executive producer is Jessica Buzzard.
1: The show is produced by Goat Rodeo, and to find more of their work, go to goatrodeodc.com.
0: Executive producers at Goat Rodeo are Megan Nadalski and Ian Enright.
1: Creative Producers are Max Johnston, Isabel Kirby-McGowan, Rebecca Seidel, and Jay Venables.
0: Mixing and Engineering by Rebecca Seidel. Intro music from Wayne Jones.
1: Marketing and Publicity by Stephen Raphael at Required Viewing. Graphics
0: by Lee Fenvis.
1: Special thanks to Trevor Groth, Kirsten Chalker, John Nine, and especially Christine Buzzard. Also to all our friends and family who put up with us and our crazy projects.
0: If you like this episode, why don't you subscribe to stay up to date on new ones and maybe leave us a rating and a review. Oh, and if you have any left, tell your friends.